Welcome back to the East Deck Eye. Well, in our first part of this two-part special report, we examined some series from the more recent Isekai boom started by or kicked off by light novels. This time, we thought we might take a look back at more classic Isekai series. In what ways they differ? In what ways are they similar? Or as Victoria might say, are they better? Uh, and what made these timeless, these classic series more timeless, really? Uh, with me, as always, is Victoria. Say hi. Hi. And Dawn. Uh, and I'm Sabrina Ray, and we are into this. By so our powers to... combined. Oh, yeah, nice, nice callback. Was Voltron an isekai? I don't think so. I think it just took place in a fantasy kingdom. Actually, you know, I think it was kind of an isekai, and I thought that the the writers... Um, I'm trying to remember if there was ever a plot line where they came from our own world, like the original crappy Voltron cartoon, not the more recent one. Right, on Netflix. right. I just I don't remember much about it other than the, the 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 crappy Chinese knockoff toy that my dad brought home for me. I remember and I had, really enjoying and I had a it. Single lion because they were like giant. Yeah, they were quite big. And the if you actually constructed Voltron, you're like. This is useless. It can't possibly do anything. I really like the fact that I could turn it into just an arm or a foot. And that was like, that's all I could do. Like I couldn't, I didn't have any of the other characters. So I just transformed it into a foot. (laughs) And there you were. This mighty foot shall slay thee. Robot Quentin Tarantino was there like salivating. Damn. Savage early on. Uh, It's funny. But, you know, once we talked about Isekai, when we recorded our last episode, like a week or two ago, um, I started seeing it everywhere. And then this week, I like it was I guess it was last week, technically, but they released the new Super Mario Brothers movie trailer uh, with Chris Pratt as Mario. And and it's clearly uh, going for the sort of Isekai vibes like and I guess it's kind of implied by the storyline that like he is presumably a plumber who goes down a magic pipe into a mystical kingdom. Either that or he's dying of some kind of like gas inhalation. And it's sort of his fever dream as he, as he collapses. It's not really clear to me. That would be absolutely phenomenal if that's what it was revealed to be at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that would just, from the that studio would really that brought be something. Minions. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's it's illumination like the the ni- the 90s movie the 90s movie might have gone there. That was interesting. To be fair, I really I really liked that as a kid because I was like 6 years old and <laughs> absolutely uncritical. I don't I don't feel I don't think I would feel the same way now, but I also have no like no interest in revisiting it. As a child of the old school, I have to say that they just never really had very good <laughs> adaptations of anything. <laughs> it was always, there was always some kind of weird, uh, I guess, 
I would call it imaginative, <laughs> creative problem solving that would create things like uh, like marketing guys would be like, yeah, kids don't want like a cartoony, like, you know, Bowser guy with like a big rounded nose. They want like a lizardy looking guy that looks like Dennis Hopper kind of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's such an interesting thing because like the, the comic book movies back then were the worst too. Like remember, <laughs> remember, like we had like Dolph Lundgren as Captain America, and like Dolph Lundgren as the Punisher, I think as well. What? I, no, that can't be right. No, maybe not. Maybe it wasn't the Punisher, but he definitely was Captain America, and it was definitely terrible. And he's uh, actually isn't he brilliant? If I recall, see the guy who's like also part of Mensa. He might be. He might be. Like I, I don't think he was a very convincing uh, action hero slash like leading man. <laughs> like in the in the Arnold Schwarzenegger, he didn't have the charm of the Schwarzenegger like presentation and vibe. Like I don't know why he he just eluded him slightly. He played a really good Russian uh, boxer like machine like boxer in Rocky four. But after yes, that, it was sort that, of like, that's actually the thing I remember him the most for, but actually he has a very illustrious background. Um, having a master's degree in chemical engineering from the university of Sydney. He's got a Fulbright scholarship to MIT and he's holds the rank of fourth Dan black belt in karate and was a European champion in, in 1980, I believe all of that. Because he's not a very good actor. <laughs> oh, he was He-Man. <laughs> yes. In Masters of the Universe. And That's that was right. also a terrible adaptation, which used the isekai trope to bring He-Man into our world, the reverse I'm trope. so glad that we came full circle on that. I know. It was almost going off the... <laughs> it was going off the... Uh, it was going off the rails. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Uh, let's get to the things we're here to talk about. Uh, we each did a series this week, and we looked back. I did Magic Knight Ray Earth, uh, which is the classic Clamp series. This is one Victoria's been pushing me to do. It's actually one I never saw in its original, like, in the time that it was originally popular. Because I was a little, like, I was like, oh, that thing. Like, I, I, I just, I don't know. I had a hang-up about being caught watching shoujo series like that and uh and so i i shrugged and kind of shrugged it off even though people told me like it was really cool and i had read the manga briefly like i'd picked up one in in like one of those uh manga cafe and i was like holy shit the art's cool because i'd read x because x seemed like it was okay to like if you were if you were dude presenting x was x was ultra ultra violent X was ultra violent. It was moody. The guys looked like they were, they were in a rock band of some kind, and it wasn't as girly and colorful. Uh, but it was also harder to understand. Like I still don't know what the plot of X was. <laughs> I I think I understood it briefly for a hot minute, but then it kind of just went out of my head and hasn't left any impression. But I will tell you this: Magic Knight Ray Earth made a huge impression on me, and I only watched half of it so far. 
Um, I assume the half of it I watched was the the version that aired from uh, that was in the manga from 1993 to 1995, and not the sequel. Or is it is it that the sequel was never animated, or that it's like a separate thing? I'm not sure. So the, the manga, I believe, ran continuously, and the anime was like in production around a, around a similar time. But part two, which you haven't watched yet, we'll cover we'll cover the last three volumes of the manga. Oh, okay. So that's the the sequel that they did in ninety five to ninety six, or I'll, I'll be real. I don't remember the years anymore. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, I, I, got, I can I look it up. I got a spreadsheet in front of me, but what I <laughs> what I'm getting at is uh, I'm going to talk about that. Um, Dawn, what did you watch? I watched. Um, uh, gosh, I I need to get what? it right here. No, <laughs> sorry. I watched, I watched something. <laughs> well, it's sorry. I was going to say here and there, now and then, but it's the opposite. It's now and then, here and there. You almost really um, buffed that, didn't you? <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's kind of an awkward name. I'm I'm going to be honest with you, but um, that one. Uh, I'm sorry. I I feel like I never know the histories of these things. What is it, Sabrina? You told me to watch it, and I did. <laughs> okay. But I didn't watch it, so... Well, no, I can talk about it. I just can't talk oh, about no, it sort I of in a meta way. You don't have to... What are you talking about? For example, it was directed you just have by... To just say what it is. <laughs> oh. Um, it's, it's about an individual who... Um, a, a young boy um, who stumbles across this um, mysterious girl um, and gets... In, in sort of the process of trying to befriend her or speaking to her, she is captured by some sort of um, powerful dimension crossing or time crossing entity um, or group that is seeking something you don't know um, what from her. And he defends her and um, finds himself trapped on this, in this apocalyptic hellscape where um He's trapped in a giant war machine that's currently under repairs. Um, and the girl has something to do with um, resources, particularly water. Um, and there's a third element, uh, a necklace that she has that apparently is um, the secret to controlling a great deal of water. But that gets captured by the boy. The two get separated. He loses the necklace. Uh, and then basically he's... Um, he's forced into servitude into being part of this war machine's army and you don't really know what's happening to the girl. They're trying to compel her to work with the, the leader of this army in this giant war contraption. And it's a, it's a very dark world and I look forward to talking about it more. Cool, cool. Uh, I did look it up here. It was it was on TV in 1999 and ran until January of 2000. So, um, yeah, it's chronologically just after Magic Knight Rare Earth, basically. But where does yours fit in with that chronology, Victoria? When did when did your series come out? What is your series, first of all? So I watched The Twelve Kingdoms, which is a 2002 anime based on a long running series of shoujo novels with the same name, 12 kingdoms that 
began in 1992 is is still releasing from t- still releasing from to, from time to time. Um, wow, that is a long series. Well, you would think you would think, but uh, apparently it's only had eight novels over all these years or nine. So the anime covers the first the first four novels, which are incidentally the only ones that were ever released in English. Although those volumes are like. They're out of print and like hideously overpriced in the secondhand market. So I'm still I'm still looking around for them. I really want to read them after watching the anime. Um, this was one that I'm I'm positive I must have heard about at some point, and like not and not remembered. But it kept coming up. It kept coming up in lists and videos about like some of the best some of the best shoujo from the ni- from the nineties. And I was like, well, this sounds interesting. Um, yeah, if yeah. I were to really, really briefly summarize the gist of this very, very, very detailed, like painstakingly laid out world, it's that um, it's mostly mostly centers around a, Jap- a Japanese girl who gets transported to who gets transported to this this place, the twelve the twelve kingdoms, this very ancient 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 China inspired fantasy world um where she actually founds out that she was that she was originally she was originally from the she was originally from there and she is the rightful heir to the throne in one of the countries there and goes back to reclaim goes back to reclaim the throne um then the very the later episodes will just they look at the story from or they they show stories from different characters perspectives some later things she does like the girl, the girl Yoko, the later thing she does, like help overthrow a tyrannical lord. It's 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 great. <laughs> it's, it's, there's a lot. There is a lot going on. There is a lot going on on in this show. Like I felt like I needed a vocabulary list at all times, so I could just keep track of all the different titles and all the different types of monsters and the ranks and such. I I, I loved it. It was um. We'll go. You know, we'll go into more detail. But this was very, it it very reminiscent of like classic fantasy novels like i think if if i might say so like ursula if ursula Le Guin were writing like shoujo novels like i think this is what this would have been like oh good good comparison yeah that's a that is a major uh like a major positive spin you're putting on that i i, I was a huge fan of ursula k Le Guin, uh novels so yeah she i mean I, I don't. I don't want to say. I don't want to go necessarily. I don't want to go necessarily saying like, yeah, this is like extreme, extreme. This is like high literature. I haven't. I haven't read the novels yet, but I. I still. I. I got that. I got that vibe. That energy. That attention to detail. Very and cool. Read, read the RC novels if you haven't. Yes. Um, I guess I'll start with Magic Knight Ray Earth, which. Um, I didn't really talk about the plot, but it's it's pretty simple on its surface. Uh, three girls from Tokyo, junior high school aged. Girls are on a kind of cliched uh, class trip to the Tokyo Tower, which, <laughs> as Don and I can attest, is is kind of a disappointing location. I, I can also attest because I went I went there in my I went there as a teenager just because of Magic Knight Rare. Did they did they happen to stop by a Maguro restaurant? No, there's no time. They've got a world to save. Yeah. Did they see the filthy wigs <laughs> that were just stacked? 
there's so much garbage in Tokyo Towers. Probably when I went there, was that was like 20 years ago, right? So, uh, but none of that is in the show. So automatically, Magic Knight Rayoth's getting off on the wrong foot with me. Uh, no, they're they're all color coded in their uniforms, which is a neat way to do that because their names are all coded to different elements as well. There's Fu. Uh, she's in green. She's kind of looks like the studious one with the big glasses, but all of the things that I assumed about them to be true were only sort of true as the series went on. But what I want to say first is that these three different girls, um, Umi, Fu, and Hikaru, they end up getting sucked into another world and called by this, uh, person called Emerald, the princess Emerald. And uh, and she wants them to save this world called Sephiro uh, by becoming the Magic Knights, you know. And the series lets them take some time to get to this realization that they have to do this in order to go home. Um, but they meet a a, wiz- a grand wizard uh, named Clef, who kind of like gives him the, the lowdown before he's turned to stone <laughs> in one of the very early scenes. Um, and so they're kind of on the run for the first part of the series as they kind of go from locale to locale. And it very much reminded me of like one of those like old uh, like fantasy RPGs from Japan, the JRPGs, like Final Fantasy or Dragon Warrior, Dragon Quest, where like you're moving block by block and then there's like a little picture of like a place you're going. You go inside, there's a dungeon. Like a lot of that feels like that. There's random encounters with like these big beasts. And uh, I really love the visual look of the show, even though it's a little bit dated from like the presentation. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a widescreen show. It was a, one of those four by three uh, earlier shows that you'd see on like an old CRT TV. Um, but it Which looks how I watched it. It still looks great. Um, and especially the designs and the, the aesthetic design sense. Um, early on, the monsters just, they, they tower over the girls and uh, they each have like little quirks and personalities. And uh, like I said, the, so as they go through, they're supposed to like they get this armor from the from the the wizard, and it it evolves with them. But not everything evolves. Like they're given weapons, but they need to get this special ore in order to like have um, the master forger or master smith uh Presia, she has to make them these cool weapons uh that are fit for a magic knight and that will I, also evolve with them i see why you describe this like a video game but i had a question as you're describing this what's the tone like um you know what what's the sort of is this dramatic is it comedic i think about it in the terms of like it's not comedic it has comedic moments but i wouldn't say the tone is comedic i still think the tone is overly is is more on the dramatic side and it only becomes more so when the stakes keep getting raised like i said the, the guy turns to stone there's immediately a threat um these these um 
disciples of the high priest Zagat, who is to blame for, who is, we are told is to blame for the taking of Princess Emerald. And the reason that it's so important that they get the princess back is because she is the pillar of the world of Sephiro. And it is her prayers that keep the peace. So without her, uh, monsters are attacking and chaos is, it's, the world is falling into a more chaotic state. Very normal. And the people that live there who call it home are increasingly being attacked and or having their homes destroyed, etc. So um, the tone is, is it's, it's, it's kid-friendly in some ways. Uh, I wouldn't say kid-friendly, but like a little older kid. Um, Young adult. It, you know, it has the magical girl component, but it's not like they're wandering around and then they transform exactly. Like they're always wearing their armor and the more of it they get, the more they keep it on and their shoulder pads keep getting extended as Victoria was pointing out. I noticed at one point there was a flying enemy that could grab them by the shoulder pads. <laughs> making oh, yeah, a weakness. Exploiting, exploiting <laughs> the weakness of Clamp's like, famous 90s power shoulder is like, I mean, just peak design. Like, honestly, if like, if like the men don't have two feet shoulders that are like so big that they have to have like custom doorways built for them, then like, I don't, I don't want to fucking hear about them. <laughs> exactly <laughs> and here's the really funny part i said it's not comedic and that's mostly true but then there's there's this thing that is going to take people and people who watch anime today probably aren't super familiar with how sd works sd characters or super deformed characters also known as chibi characters um but Magic Knight Rayearth blends them, blends three sizes of their characters together, and it's not necessarily done for comedic purposes. A lot of the times, uh, it it's a lot of the times they just shrink and grow, uh, just not randomly, but it's not it's not as predictable as you might think. And sometimes one of them is shrunk. And the other one is like in a serious fight in the background. So like it takes some getting used to, I have to say. Um, and it was one of the things that probably initially turned me off of off of the series when I was just looking at it from afar. But once you get into it, uh, even sometimes the monsters or like the, the, the disciples of Zagat, they shrink as well. Um, and I don't know the reason it happens, it could just be budget. It could be that it's easier to animate them that way sometimes. Um, but you know, they don't they don't do certain things when they're shrunk down. And a lot of times it'll be it'll be for like for instance, there's a character, as I said, <laughs> named Umi, who tends to whine a lot in the series, at least initially. And whenever she kind of goes into her like whiny panic mode she shrinks down into the smallest version or if they get like blown away and like, they all go like scattering 
but it's not like a dangerous sort of like blown away and scattering. Sometimes they'll turn into the little characters and kind of like fly off. And there's like, there's like funny characters. Like there's one called Mokona, who's like a little rabbity thing. I'm not exactly sure how to describe it. It's kind of like the Moogles from, uh, from Final Fantasy, but without the big nose. Um, and it's kind of their guide, like uh, an emissary of, of the, of the, of the wizard that sort of sets them on the quest. Um, and also their map. And also it, it holds their like, it holds their shit. <laughs> like it has like a tent and shit and uh, it can produce those things for them. Uh, but you know, they face it, it. It follows a pretty predictable tract as far as like how things go, because there's like, it's like Sailor Moon where like you can kind of see like there's a there's a head bad person and they have like their disciples or their followers and their their henchmen that are um that are like seen or heard from in the background in like chronological order so like they get progressively either stronger or more devious or they test them in different ways that line up with sort of where the series is going um but yeah it's <laughs> I have to say that once you get to know them and you start to see their different personalities coming to the forefront, like there's one called Ascot that's like a little boy. And uh, he he thinks of all of the monsters as his friends. Um, and so when he sends a monster out to attack them and they kill it, he's kind of devastated. And they gave all these little human moments to those characters. Um you know, you kind of get a feel for who they are in a very short time because this isn't a series that goes on for a long time. There's 20 episodes in the first season, which brings you to a really satisfying close that is also, I mean, I don't want to spoil things, I guess, but... I think you should. I I mean... It's been around a while. If you wanted, yeah. to, if you it's, wanted it's to... It's 30 watch- years old now. It's 30 years old. People know we're talking about it, like... If I mean, you if you don't want to find out if you don't want to find out what happens, then turn this off, watch it, and come back. That's my recommendation. Like I, I don't think I don't think you can talk yeah, about I mean, Earth without without talking to... about what it's actually about. <laughs> <laughs> it has one of the most insanely dark and gothically romantic uh, twists. I mean, even today, I would say it, it's it's still pretty devastating, even watching it today as an adult. Um, but I can't imagine what it was like watching it uh, if you were the impression of the impressionable age that the series was sort of aimed at. Which I was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so here's what happens. All this time, uh, we've thought that the Magic Knights were summoned to go and save this princess and Zagat was this bad guy who's like he's doing all these nefarious things and he's ca- he's kidnapped the princess and he's going to do something he's trying to take over the world because that's how it appears and they've totally play off those tropes like the the intro makes it look like he's like this like looming ominous presence in his secret bad guy headquarters uh, with his henchmen surrounding him. And as you go through them, there's one moment that sticks out where 
the illusionist, and I can't, Caldina, the illusionist, sort of reveals that she doesn't know why he's doing it. <laughs> like, if he really wanted to, he could just be like, princess, pray for what I want, and I'll control the world. Because one thing that's really cool about this series is that it is a, it is a world of will. And like that's in like a lot of series, but they don't make it as blatant or as understandable as they do in Magic Knight Ray Earth. So like those who believe, who have who have faith and have heart, they're the ones who can like create this magic or like summon these things or like and and they're the ones who can triumph over their adversaries. Um but the magic knights were summoned from far away and they were told that the princess was in danger and that they needed to save her in order to save Sephiro. And then their, their reward would be that they get to go home. Now, Dawn, <laughs> you're the only one who doesn't know what happens, but can you guess why they were really summoned? <laughs> well, I have a guess from watching some chatter amongst um, certain <laughs> parties who shall not be named on this particular um, particular podcast. But I, I would, I mean, they're summoned. They're growing all this armor. Um, I guess I would normally expect like they're like lambs being fattened for the slaughter. They're they're actually there as consumables for for somebody, but maybe this Sagato. That's what I'll go with. Okay, that's a good guess. That is not correct, not exactly anyway. Uh, so they fight Zagato, and he reveals something very strange during their fight. He's like, "Why should Princess? Why should Emerald be the only one who has to pray for the peace of this world?" Why does she not get to choose her own fate? Her, why does she not get to be free? And he, they kill him. They murder him. They, like they murder. Like normally, you would say it like they defeat him because he's the big bad. Yes, yes, and that's how it feels at first. But you know something's wrong at that point. But then they go to go. They, like it plays the triumphant music, and they go in. They go into the the princess's. I'm sorry, they go into the bad guy's headquarters. Where the princess is being held. Where the princess is being held. Except it's not the bad guy's headquarters. It is her place that she resides. Like it's the princess's it, castle. It's her castle. And she has created this thing to keep people away from it. Uh, but the, the Ray Earth people, the, the, the magic knights are the ones who can like penetrate it and get to her. And when they do, they don't discover what we had always been perceiving the princess as, which is this little girl who's like, save us, magic knights. Save me. Come and save Sephiro. It's a grown-ass woman who seems to be in a kind of a trance at first. And they say, are you the princess Emerald? And she's like, I'm Emerald. And then they're like, we killed Zagat. We defeated Zagato. We're we're here. We're the heroes, you know. And and then she's like, "You murdered the man I loved." 
And you had hints, you had hints that this was the case, but it was, it's literally they killed the man she loved because she cannot be the pillar of the world and pray for its success if she chooses her own heart over the world. And that's exactly what she did. And that's what threw the world into chaos. And Zagat, who we've seen as a villain this whole time, is just a guy who who wants the best for her and doesn't want her to kill herself because the only way she can die is if she brings these knights from another realm and has them bring back the, the they call them the rune gods, bring back the rune gods, penetrate and murder her. So it's death by it's death by magic night. But like death by wait, cop. wait, wait. I'm I'm confused, having not been one who watched. Like they went in and they're like, Hey, are you Princess Emerald? She's like, Well, I'm Emerald. And they're like, We killed Zagato. And she's like, What the fuck? And and then and what? Well, it's a mech show as well, which I didn't mention. Like yeah, I was the, say. the rune gods, <laughs> the rune gods are sort of mechs that they turn into in the last like three or four episodes two or, two or three their episodes. armor turns them into mechs yeah okay. so no, now they're mechs they're they're, they're it's, it's, it's it's not it's, quite that it's like the mechs bring them inside of them it's it's like they're 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 mechs they control with their heart with their hearts but are also sentient beings it's, with their hearts um Maybe their heads. Well, I, don't I mean, know. like they're not sitting there with levers and they're like, correct, you know, doing correct. shit. It's like you know, if they cast a spell, the machine rune god uh, casts on their behalf. If 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 I'm used end up using different words to describe the characters than you two, like give me give me a break because I first saw this on very bootleg fan sub VHS in like 1985 or 1996. Um, it's gotten probably one official English translation of the anime, but has been modified a couple of times. The manga got like three different English translations. Like, God help me. I don't, I don't know what the, I don't, I can't remember what the, I know what the Japanese the things. The Japanese <laughs> Varun God is machine. Yeah. Which also sounds like machine. I was gonna, I was gonna say, were you trolling me? No, no. I mean, that's how they translate it. It's, it's I thought it was a strange translation, but, uh, who am I to say? I'm, I'm pretty sure the original subsite watched said machine, but spelled out M A S H I N. The the absolute suffering I have been through. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, it is a mech show, and and Zagat also entered a mech. Wasn't really explained why he had a mech or what it was used for, other than he that. Has willpower. Yeah, uh, she also has a mech, Emerald. Uh, enters her mech and they defeat her and then because she tries to kill them and then the sorceress clef is like sorry wait but guess, didn't they fail here no they they did it they did exactly what they are summoned for the adults just didn't tell them the full story because oh. they would they would not be able to achieve the strength to do this because if it's, the, the yeah, it's like oh you have to go in. kill this woman who yeah. chose love over the peace of the kingdom Although, in in all fairness, like, oh, you're right. That's still the right decision. I, I mean, this 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 is a series that is fully aware that the system sucks. Like, the pillar system is absolutely awesome, awful, and you know the the best that can come out of it is that one person is miserable for eternity to uphold this entire country. 
Well, that's and, why yeah. the the second series is definitely prob- is almost certainly about the pillar system and how much it sucks. Yeah, uh, I only watched the first two episodes of it, but I've already got the sense that like they're gonna dismantle the system. <laughs> yeah. I- I mean, I mean, it's not, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's not an, it's not a, it's not a difficult thing to predict because it's the logic, it's the logical outcome. And something I really like in Shoujo is that the real enemy is the system all along. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say we're, we're back, we're back to developing full on communism or socialism here, but I, I'm curious, did they go home at the end of episode one? At the end or of episode series, 20. series one. Yes. Yes. Or, yes, they did. But and it's like, it's it's delicious. They go back. It ends with like a picture of the earth. And then in the very next episode, it's like it's it's like they've all had the volume tuned down on their lives. Like they they can't function. Yeah, because you just went and like slaughtered a couple people and then you realize, oh my god, we're murderers. And it's like, okay, we're releasing it back into the wild. Have a great I mean, time. It, yeah. It's great. There's like a scene where they're just holding each other crying. Like in yeah. the in the end of the first series, yeah, and like they, just giving it time to breathe like that is. I felt more in that moment than I felt for anything in any of the isekai shows that we watched last week or in the last episode of the show. Um, I felt more in that moment than all of it combined. <laughs> Yeah, the 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 grief is absolutely palpable. They they go but they return they return to Tokyo Tower at, at the exact moment they left, and they're just all hugging. You know, th- having been strangers like mere seconds ago in Earth's timeline, they are now holding each other in tears. Um, they they and part part two deals in part with well, how did how did they deal? You know, how did they deal with this trauma they survived? Like they go back to the, you know, they go back to their old lives, their old families, and there's just this fundamental disconnect because they've been through something traumatic that only the three of them understand. And yeah, imagine families, trying to know, explain it to any rational human being. Yeah, they don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now we're getting on to the last bit of what I have to say about it here, which is that um, how does it differ from the ones we watched, you know, in in the previous episode, the more current light novel based isekai shows. And I think one of the fundamental differences is that uh, we're not talking about, even if at times Magic Knight Ray Earth has the feeling of a video game where like the characters have cool powers, they gain magic spells, they gain levels. It never feels like you're looking at stats on a screen, which that is a unique aesthetic choice, but it is one that gets old quickly and that so many of those shows use. Uh, here, it's more based in the character's personal growth, as Victoria alluded to last week, um, where they're, they're tested. And when they make choices that like progress their, like, their own personal level, like their their investment in their friendships, their bravery, like words like bravery and courage or like uh, self-sacrifice or like those are words that do not come into play in most of those isekai shows that I, that I watched for part one of this series that we're doing. Uh, 
what I found most likely was they cared more about power leveling. They cared more about gaming, gaming a system that wasn't so much unfair as it was like rigidly predetermined. So like, it's like the characters in those series just kind of slip through the cracks and find these exploits that make them powerful, that make them uh, not, and, and, and you don't know who they are. Like they they are so interchangeable. And that is the problem with so many of those series is that I can't like put my finger on anything like, Oh, her defining trait is that she's loyal or her defining trait or his defining trait is that he's, uh, it's always like he was a bookworm. Now he's a God. <laughs> like, but here it's like, it's like, I really was invested in Fu's relationship with Ferio, not because, um, not because like it, like it was like, predetermined that I would be but because they kind of earn it as it goes along and also she's not just this like bookish nerdy character that she appears to be at first where she's like giving fun facts or something like she's the one who like gets the guy she's the one who like she's the one who uh uh who who slays with love in her heart and like it's just an interesting development that like Umi Umi is the competitive one. She's kind of the sporty uh, competitive one. Uh, she seems the most like modely with her long blue hair. And like, you can tell that Hikaru is supposed to be the like really peppy, peppy one. And uh, the really like one full of heart. But uh, they all sort of like shift slightly off of what you're expecting. Um, and there's, there's some great stuff like where he caught his climbing this mountain and her hands are bleeding and she falls like four or five times as she's trying to prove herself, uh, and just get her friends back. Like there's so many moments like that, that means so much. I mean, I told you guys, I enjoyed the spider story. I did, but it's because in a lot of ways I hadn't seen that before, but when I went to watch, um, what was the second one I watched? I can't remember now. The uh, Bofuri. I thought it was the Isakaya one. Oh, that one's just something else. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> that's worth exist. mentioning in, in terms of these shows. But yeah, when I watched Bofuri, um, the one where the person put all their experience into defense, it was funny. It was a fun one note gag that kind of extended out. Uh, but it's not, it's not giving you much. Like if you want to see like a really good, like story that's like really character based and really lets its characters grow and doesn't waste any time at all. Like things happen with such significance as the series goes on. There's no filler episodes. Like everything feeds into that narrative. So like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's hands down the better investment of your time. Yes. <laughs> I I would not be, I would not feel so passionately about Magic Network Earth, like some quarter of a century past the time I originally watched it. If, if it didn't, if it didn't have the emotional impact, if it didn't 
capture the range of the human experience from grief to friendship to bravery to having a really cute little mascot character who can bring you, who can just materialize food at any moment. And, you know, that happens in my head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just really strong across the board. Now, let's go on to the next series because I've already taken a lot of time here. Uh, Dawn, you're up next. Tell us a little bit more about this series. What what uh, what did you like about it? What uh, yeah? Just... Now and then, here and there. Yeah. So, I, I I brought up the question about tone when you were talking because I was struck by the tone of this particular. Um, so, in, in full disclosure, I have not watched the full first season, um, but I I will. Um, I've only got around five episodes in. Um, however, uh, I, I've, I've definitely the, the junior party here consuming the least amount of, of Isekai. But the, the tone of this one is interesting because it starts off, and I, I wasn't sure where we were going, but we have a, a young boy, Shu, um, who I can't quite tell the when of when this is supposed to be. It's fairly modern um, and he's Japanese, but, and he's uh, the, the sort of main scene that we see of him is he's, he is participating in some sort of sword fight in, I would assume what's an after school club. And so he goes up against another boy and Shu is, bad and i'm probably verging on very bad and he gets his butt handed to him and later he is speaking with the person who defeated him and saying oh you know you're really good but you know i'm really good too and it was great that we battled and you know i look forward to battling again someday and his nemesis is like basically i never want to see you again uh, and they get into a conversation where he's like, did you, you know, you, Chu is sort of like, what do you mean? And the guy's like, do you, do you ever even think about what you're doing? Do you try to anticipate what your opponent is doing? And Chu's like, well, no, I just go with the flow. Um, and you can tell that that's not the right answer, both from how he performed and from how, you know, just how he's being treated. Um, and there was also apparently some, at least in Shu's mind, he's like, oh, I'm going to win this battle. And then uh, I'm going to ask out this pretty girl. Um, and the girl in question is clearly hanging around the um, more handsome and clearly more effective sword fighter. Um, and so they're together and they wander off together and Shu is left totally by himself. Um, and he doesn't, He's he's very optimistic. You get this earlier as well. You know he's got a he's got a very good heart and spirit, um, and so it doesn't really get him down. Um, and he's walking home, and he sees. And so I couldn't quite tell at this point. Like, is this a comedy? It wasn't really sort of. La there was no. It's not like a laugh track is going to be installed here. But there are things that you know when you're watching um, these sorts of shows. You know, hey, this is a comedic scene. This is a dramatic scene. Um, and I would have said that most of this was sort of comedic. Um, and the 
he, as he's going home, he encounters someone sitting on top of this. It's sort of like a grain tower or a water tower. No, they're not. It's just a, a vertical spire as opposed to one of the ones that I am familiar with in the U.S., which is a giant bulb sitting on top of a narrow um, tube. Um, but there's three of these or three or four. And this girl is sitting on top of one and doesn't really appear clear how she could possibly have gotten there because the ladder at the bottom is destroyed. Um, but he climbs up one nearby and starts actually like throwing things at her to get her attention, basically trying to talk to her. And she does not um, really respond to him at all. Or I take it back. Once he starts throwing articles of his own clothing at her, um, she's basically like, what are you doing? Again, this is sort of playing on like the comedic aspect from my perspective. No, he's not nude. Like I think he got up to a shoe. Um, and I can't remember if he actually threw the shoe or he just was threatening to throw the shoe. But at that point, she was like, you know, what are you doing? But you never hear her voice. And you can tell she's she's sort of she's moving her mouth and he's reading her lips. And he figures out that her name is Lala Rue. Um, and she's staring at the sunset. And he's like, yeah, sunset's pretty, I guess. Yeah, it's nice. And he's sort of preoccupied with his own stuff. And then literally out of nowhere, um, a giant, let's call it a sphere of, a sphere, like a a sphere of influence, like the area around them in a circular pattern um, shifts. And all of a sudden, um, these soldiers, two of them riding, there's three mechs, two sort of giant, like, the, the old Japanese dragon kind of thing. Like a Japanese dragon to me is one that's very long and sinewy. It doesn't have, um, this, these had no wings at all, but it was just like the, the head and then a very long tail, um, and sort of a squat robot. And the squat robot captures Lala Rue and Shu very selflessly, but this is sort of consistent with his character on this point. He's like, well, I got to save her. And so he ends up in these sort of weird hijinks um, where he's like running up the bodies of some of these sinewy dragon-like things. Um, and there are some other um, characters there. Um, Abelia is one of them who is clearly the commander um, who is calling the shots. And they, they've captured La La Rue and they're trying to sort of shrug off Shu, who shouldn't be very effective, but he manages to gain partial control of one of these um, dragon things. And they're like, well, that was a real big waste because he crashes it or something. Um, and then well, all of a sudden the entire like sphere... Is this steampunk kind of uh, No, it's or... not steampunk. Um, because the the machines, the technology is simply advanced. Like they're... You can't quite tell if it's from the future or what. But the sphere then sort of vanishes and it teleports everything in the sphere, including the tops of the towers that got lopped off into this other world. And um, Shu manages to grab Lala Rue and they start running and they manage to escape before the doors are closed in this chamber that allowed them to transport back and forth. Um, and Shu runs with Lala Rue. He's trying to save her. Um, Abelia manages to announce to the entire building, like, hey, 
there are these fugitives. We got to grab them. Um, and the entire built like a bunch of soldiers come out and start looking around. Uh, some of them do spot Shu. He runs with um, Lala Rue and there's a bridge, like a one one of the, not a drawbridge, but something that opens and, and making hand motions, which our listeners cannot see. Um, <laughs> but what, what would you call that, everybody? Um, one of those bridges. Like, uh, a uh, drawbridge? It's not a draw. Well, is it a drawbridge? Like a drawbridge is like one side goes up, but this is where both sides go up, right? So it splits in the middle and each side rises away from the middle. A draws bridge. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so Shu ends up on one side and Lala Rue on the other. And he refuses to sort of let her go. And he leaps across the opening drawbridge to be close to her or save her. Um, and he doesn't make it. He's not, he doesn't leap far enough. But he does snag this necklace that she's wearing and then he falls down what appears to be, you know, an absolutely unbelievable length um, and ends up in a twisty tube. And, it, you know, it's it's like when Luke Skywalker falls down. Uh, in fact, it is not just like it. It is, thinking about it, pretty much that exact scene. Um, and he is sort of catapulted out on the end. His clothing snags on something and he's hanging there. Uh, Lalaru is captured. Uh, and he's down there hanging there and he's looking out. And for the first time in this entire time, he's been running around inside this enormous complex. Um, and he now sees sort of the open landscape, which is a blasted barren hellscape. And the sun is setting or the sun is too large and it's setting. Um, and he says, and actually this scene was very powerful. Like, all this time, he's been sort of stuck in his head. He's behaving the way a hero would, but also sort of bumbling. And uh, he's just looking out on this, and he's like, where the hell am I? Which I believe is the exact... I can't I can't see it in Japanese with subtitles. It is... I only have the dub. Um, but the, the voice acting is pretty good so far. And um, you definitely feel the, like... This is, he is not any place he should be. Um, and that's the opening tone. And I was really like, okay, so they're going to be, you know, oh, we're going to get some comedic moments. We're going to get some other moments. No, my friends, this is not a comedy. <laughs> this is a tragedy. And I am only five episodes in. Um, I'll skim over some of the other stuff that, so that happens. So it goes pretty grimdark. It does. Um, there's a couple, you, you sort of get, you get acquainted with a couple of the soldiers. They're more of sort of like child soldiers or late, late adolescents, but it becomes clear they've been conscripted into an army to support this. I think that the place is called Hollywood, and it's like a city state that is in one building that um, is a military complex and the leader of it is called Hamdo and they refer him to him as King Hamdo and he's clearly unhinged. Um, no one named Hamdo becomes King. Sorry. <laughs> you lost me there. I'm sorry. I lost you. And I wish it were comedic. 
And it is sort of comedic because he's a he's somewhat of a buffoon. Um, and he's he acts like a king with the sense of entitlement that like comes with that. He's he's also cruel. Like there's a cat that shows up, and he's very happy that they've caught Lala Rue. But then he's like, "Well, where's the necklace?" And they're like, "We don't know where the necklace is." And he gets so pissed off that he kills the cat, just like beats it to shit. Wow. Um, and as you are watching the anime, there's a lot of these scenes where basically people get the shit beat out of them. And you're like, well, that wasn't comedic or satisfying. That was just tragic. <laughs> Dear um, listener, I just have to tell the listeners that I chose this one because I thought it would be fun. It looked like a cool adventure. <laughs> well, I'm not trying to like. <laughs> I was like, Don might be depressed lately. Why don't I give him this cool adventure? Mm, yeah, oh, no. <laughs> it's it's pretty dark. Um, there is, I mean, it's vi- like one of the things that caught me the most. I think this episode is called Murder. <laughs> um is that it starts off and like it's an older show. So it, like the, the little rating showed up in the corner. It's like, oh, this one's PG. And the character that we're seeing is named Sarah. And she's also been captured. She's from Earth. Weirdly, she's American. And she was Japanese, but they can speak to each other without any problem at all. Um, and they manage, they end up meeting each other in like, she was thrown in jail and Sarah happens to be there. And they agree to sort of, he's like, oh, I need help. Um, finding La La Rue and helping her. And, and Sarah's like, okay, I just need to go home because I clearly don't belong here. I'm, I was captured because I look a lot like La La Rue, but I'm not. So please help me, which is fine. But then it turns out they're dragging Sarah away to be raped by um, soldiers who are in Hollywood because they need more soldiers and literally she's she's there to bear children. So she is, as you might imagine, pretty bloody tra- traumatized by this experience. So in this episode, Murder, once again, she's brought to some soldier's room um, and uh, he begins assaulting her and she ends up fighting back um, and killing him. Um, beating him to death uh, with a like a flagon of water or something. Um, and then she like dresses in clothes to look like a soldier and tries to escape. And so, you know, the, this, the scene opens with the, the show saying like PG at the top. And then you go into this incredibly brutal, like rape murder scene. And I'm, it's, it's not graphic, but although the the beating is pretty graphic and they're using red for blood and there's plenty of that. Um, So it's kind of like, you know, I just feel like whoever the censors were or the evaluators were, were just sort of skimming the surface of this one and not really paying attention to the content because I would not throw a PG rating on this. Like, I don't know what more you need to make it like the themes are as adult as it gets. And the, like, do you just, have to draw breasts and something to make something more than PG because I was a little bit like, I would not show this to my kids. I'm not even sure I should be watching this. 
Well, it says parental parental guardian. It doesn't mean it's a good guardian. No, no. <laughs> or parental but, guidance, so whatever the hell. At the same for. time, like the way that the show is developed, like you you meet this you meet Shu, he's thrust into this world, he's clearly a fish out of water, and he there he's just sort of thrown into the machine, and the machine is brutal and sort of eating people up and spitting them out. But it feels like they do a good job of making it feel like, yeah, like that's what it would be. It, in some ways, it sort of feels like, well, this is what it would be like in Russia. Um, and I bring that up deliberately because right now with the war with the Ukraine going on and just the horrible conscription that's going on, the sort of very, um, you know, there's no, there's no humanity in any of it right? Like we're just, people are tools and we use them until they are useless and we throw them away. Like that's what Hollywood feels like. And Chu is thrown in it. And there's still some humanity going on here. He's trying, like he, he has to fight with um, this other kid uh, who's of a similar age. Um, They're supposed to spar to practice training. And Chu once again, just sort of he does his same sort of sword fighting routine where he's just doing whatever he feels, but he sort of cheats at the end. Like he does something that's not, um, not really by the rules or not. If you're facing off with somebody in combat, like it was basically a dirty trick, but at the end, like he would win by this and they sort of stop the fight and send him on the way. But the, the sergeant's like, look, there's no, there's, there's no honor in war. Like you win, you win. That's it. You're just going to have to be aware that that sort of stuff happens. Actually, I think he says that in an earlier batter between two other people, one of whom clearly is like, has no soul. Like the guy is just a total scumbag. Um, but the, there's this, this other, oh, let me just get the name because it's going to bug me. Um, but he's good in the sense of um, Nabuka. That's his name. So Nabokas, like, he clearly has a soul, but he was conscripted into Hollywood's army, and they're telling him, hey, until Hollywood wins this war, like, you don't get to go home. So he's like, well, I gotta, you know, I gotta do what they tell me because I want to go home. Um, and if that involves, like, doing bad things, I gotta do bad things. And um, Hollywood, sorry, Nabuka was actually fighting with, um, he was one of the people who captured uh, Shu initially, and they were fighting one on one, and he lost his balance and fell off of a, a, a trellis or something. Um, uh, and he was hanging there. And Shu, being the kind of guy he is, like rescued Nabuka. Um, and then the other sort of bad guy came up and just started bashing Shu in the face and Tabul, I think. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, sort of beats him up and they capture him. But he rescued Nabuka, and Nabuka's like, why would you ever do that? Like, I don't understand. Um, or I guess he sort of understands, but it's not something that people do in the world of Hollywood. Like, you, you're just out for yourself. Again, making me think of Russia. So actually, there's a lot of this where I'm watching it, and I'm kind of like, you know, I, I want to watch more. And it's interesting to me because of the starkness of it and because of how unfair it is, but also because I think those things reflect what we see in the real world. 
So stopping there, I have, you know, do I think this is going to end on a happy note? I'm going to tell you right now, I do not. Um, I think that this is like, it's pretty stark and dystopian and we're getting more in stark and dystopian, but it's very, to me, it's pretty compelling. Um, and the other thing, like if we compare it, if I compare it and I am looking at a, the small, a much smaller sample size, I watched, I think I made it through three episodes, maybe four, but I think just three of, um, uh, the devil show that I watched. I don't even uh-huh. remember the name. The devil um, is a part-timer. The devil is a part-timer. So that one, like it just, the tone was all off. Remember I told you like at one point it was a, like it starts out very dramatic and soldiers. And then like within the same episode, he's like a bumbling teenager bopping around on a, on a bicycle going to his part-time job at McDonald's. Like the tone was all off. And I understand that that was part of like, the whiplash was part of the intent, but it made it very hard to sort of invest in it um, or to feel emotions related to it. Like it's the devil. So what sort of, you know, he's how how can I be invested in something that is never going to break? You know, or, or there's no there's no dramatic growth. Shu has is in a terrible circumstance and seeing whether he retains his humanity to me is important. Um but the devil, I don't know what he's supposed to retain or not. And half of it is like a love drama. So it's very hard to see like whether there's going to be any character growth whatsoever. And so I just didn't like it. It didn't. It felt tired without. Without ever advancing a plot like we'd already exhausted everything it could do just by it not being consistent and it's not just the consistency but also like i don't know what they're trying to do with the devil as a part-timer but i can see that there is a story behind um now and then here and there very cool i was just looking on the wiki or the wikipedia and uh, if i had checked it before sending it to you i would have seen (laughs) that it received comparisons to grave of the fireflies (laughs) Which is the Hayao Miyazaki uh, anti-war movie? One, uh, one that, if I recall, people watch it and they're like, "That was amazing." I hope never to watch anything like that ever again. Yeah, I've been, I've been putting that one off for ages because in this house my heart we, can only take so much. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. In this house, uh, it is an annual watch for us. So wow, wow, wow. Yeah, it's like a reminder. <laughs> Also, we have, we, you know what, it's really sad, but we have um, the replica of the candy canister that the little girl, uh, the, her brother, puts the, the water in so that she can have this, the candy so flavor. I'm, I'm going to ask you Neither something that's it? unfair. Neither of you have seen it? Haven't I, seen I, it I, because uh, of the same thing that Victoria said. Like... <laughs> It's supposed to be really good, but really heartbreaking. I haven't gotten there yet. And I just so, I have to be emotionally steeled for this. I'm like, not sure you're yeah. ever gonna be ready. <laughs> right. I that's mean, the I mean thing. no, I won't I won't, but it's like requiem for a to, dream. But I, I have to have the confidence that I'm ready. Look, I'll all right, I, you know what, you know what I'll, I'll I'll in the this month. This month I'll watch it. All right. Well, we're putting you right. on watch. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. I'll but the it. point being is, on Victoria, let's please put don't, it on my calendar. Don't yeah, spoil Grave of the Fireflies for me and Victoria. 
I won't. I won't. I, I mean, um, I know what happens. I don't. <laughs> I mean, I know another another I, another thing you pro- you can't talk about without talking about what happens. I mean, I know globally what happens, right? I just don't know how it happens. It's like the movie Titanic. I know what happens. It's not about the actual what happens. It's how you get there. I mean, I don't recommend Titanic, but... That's that's a different story. <laughs> Titanic is one of my favorite movies. I could watch that ship go down. <laughs> over the and over The duality of humankind. <laughs> Victor Garber. Yeah, of people are, do you love Titanic or do you hate Titanic? Um, yeah. I'm in the steerage, so <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to survive. No, nope, not many people are, unfortunately. But uh. all right, so Don, uh, I think that's it from you. So now we're going to go to Victoria for our last show. Uh, I believe you said it was called Twelve Kingdoms. Yep. So uh, I watched all 45 episodes of this because wow! I really liked it. I know, champ. I we've been defeated. Um, I know. All right, get on my level. Uh, so I'm going to try to keep this as broad as possible because this this series is very, 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 very dense. Um, so as it's as it starts, we're introduced to our heroine Yoko, who's this who's this student who naturally stands out because of her red hair. And her parents are even suspicious that somehow she is not their child because of it. But she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to stand out. She just wants to be a people pleaser. So she just does whatever is expected of her. And it's shown that because of that, she doesn't, she doesn't challenge things that are wrong. Like she's the class president. One of her classmates is being bullied and she just like, doesn't even notice her. Um, suddenly the school is attacked by monsters and this mysterious man named Keiki shows up and like swears his allegiance to Yoko, who doesn't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> they have to go, they go, to, they go to, they go to fight the monsters. And she, along with two of her classmates, the aforementioned bully one, Yuka and Asano, a boy she has a crush on, they, the, um, Keiki spirits them away to this, to this other world. He, as this happens, he immediately he immediately gets captured. The party, the rest of the party, is separated is separated from him, from each other. But as they all meet up, they know something strange. Um, Yoko's face and skin tone have changed entirely mysteriously, and she's the only one of the three who can understand the language that everyone speaks in this world. And I absolutely love how this plays out. I think it's the most realistic depiction of what the experience would be like for what the experience would be like for all parties. If, if students were suddenly spirited away to this, to, to this um, extreme, to this extreme, to this extremely foreign world. Um, so they're, they're brought over via this, this natural disaster called the Shoku. Although it can also be, it can also be artificially initiated, which is what happened here with, um, with Keiki. It, it devastate, it devastates the land around it. And um, it also, Bring, it brings people. This event brings people over from Japan to to this to this world, and sometimes rarely can have the opposite effect. But will you know have the opposite effect and spirit away people from these kingdoms to Earth. Um, 
but anyway, right now, right now they're so the so the the far, the foreigners are seen are seen as harbingers of these disasters that these that these disasters and are hunt are hunted by the locals. Um, what kind of world is this? This this in, inspired by ancient China, which I think is like. I, I mean, it's it's probably it's probably all because of Fushigi Yugi, but I am very biased toward fantasy that takes place in ancient China. In ancient China, I just it's I, I love the I love I love the feel of it. It's like comforting to me. Um, yeah, so, so so um so the local the locals are trying to hunt them. They're trying to hunt them. Yoko and Yoko and the others are trying to figure out what's going on. And since she's the only one to communicate. Her friends are often looking to her, her, her classmates really are looking to her like, can you know, can you translate what the hell is going on? Um, they have they have a really bad initial experience. They, you know, they someone tries to traffic them. There's. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Oh, they um, they meet they meet another they meet another person from Japan, an old, an old man. They meet an old man from Japan who is really excited to hear other people speaking Japanese. He had, he was speared away by Shoku in during, he, during world war two when he was a soldier and he's over, over these decades learned to speak, learn to speak and communicate with the locals, but he's still ostracized because he's one of the dreaded the, Kakyaku, Kayaku, the, 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 you know, the, 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 the foreigners from Japan, <laughs> The ones that bring natural disaster of some yeah, kind. Yeah, yeah. So this is, you know, this is there is all going on talking to him until he finds out from them that the war ended just after he got spirited away, and and not only that, but Yoko can naturally speak the can speak the language. Um, it's not given a name. Well, he had to spend decades learning it. Learning it. He is so frustrated with how his life has turned out. He he, he rats them out the locals oh. and they get pursued again yeah I, I i really love that not not for not for them but because i just thought it i, I just thought it was such an interesting thing it was just like such an interesting and believable believable reaction um so anyway to sort of jump to just sort of jump ahead to conclusion yoko was actually one of the people from this kingdom she was the she was to be the rightful heir for the kingdom k and Keiki is the Kirin, um, which is like a mythical beast. It's just like a mythical beast in general, but they're they're kind of the the kind of like the top the top advisors to the kings and queens of their of their nations, and the ones who's picked the rulers. Um, but anyway, she got she got spirit she got spirited away as a baby and born as a born as a as a human on earth. <laughs> and since then, Keiki has been, has, let me back up for a second. So Keiki came to earth to find her because, you know, there is one per there is one person who can be, who, you know, there's one person who's born to be the king or queen. Um, in the meantime, a, a false queen has taken over and that's the one, that's the one who, she's the one who imprisoned Keiki in the beginning, in the beginning. Um, Yoko slowly finds out, slowly finds out what's actually happened. And after, after turmoil eventually decides that she is going to live, she is going to live her life here. She's going to take the position. Um, and then from then on, it tells 
different stories throughout the kingdom. Like the second, the second story is about Taiki, the Kieran of Tai, and his his struggles starting out as a Kieran who can't. He's he's also he also got spirit he also got spirited away um, as a baby. I, I've, so I've got to say that in this world, the way the way people are the people and creatures are born is that they're born off they're born as like the fruit of a tree people if it's like if people want a child they go and they pray to the they pray to these trees and you know whoever whoever comes off of whoever comes off it grows in that place is their baby so anyway um he got he got spirited away as an egg baby too and then eventually a different a different a Karen from another country and finds him brings him back he he deals he deals with his the struggles of ins- his insecurity not being able to transform into his Kieran form as well as picking a king, regretting his choice as king because he thinks he chose him falsely and then somehow it's not it's not explained at this point in the anime gets feared back to Earth again where he's living as a as a as a student but people around him keep mysteriously dying. <laughs> um okay yeah Yeah, that's that's the second that's the second one um in the the third the third arc which was the longest my favorite involved yoko team up with these two with these two other girls i will probably talk about them after um and rebelling against a tyrannical rebelling against tyrannical lord and the last story we show is the um the king of n Who's also Kaikyaku, if I'm getting that term wrong. I think pretty sure it's Kaikyaku. Um and his mixed feelings about a rebellion that happened what centuries ago and under his rule. Um so th- there's a lot I really like about this, um, this story. As, I, as I've said before, the world is just painstakingly thought out. Like every everything everything has a purpose. It's I'm not usually too big on really obvious world building, but I just love this world so much. I was like eager to learn more about it. Um, the character, the characters are allowed to be complex and fuck up. Um, Yoko almost immediately, she, she almost immediately fucks up because um, Keiki gives her, gives her like this spirit who will take over her body and, you know, in times of danger and fight monsters, fight monsters for her. She, f- she freaks out and calls him a monster so he actually ignores her for like weeks or months into her into, into her experiences in the kingdoms because he's he's offended that she called him a monster. Um, she also she she also she also being so traumatized by how many times she's been betrayed and. One of one of her friends getting scouted by another kingdom, and the other one, Asano's, presumably being dead after falling off a cliff. She was what she she makes a friend with a half beast who spends most of his time in rat form. And when shit goes down, they get attacked by monsters. She's just caves to her own insecurity and ends up leaving him, presumably to what she thinks she thinks that he's going to die. And you know, this story does not let her get off for this. She is racked with guilt when she sees him again doesn't think they have a right to be friends you know luckily luckily this rat is pretty understanding of you know the predicament she was in, the predicament she was in having you know being also part of a, being a part of a persecuted species himself 
well, not like, I mean, in, in certain, in certain king, in certain kingdoms, like, certain kingdoms are, you know, rightfully kind or, you know, do the right thing and are accepting of half beasts. Some of the other ones, some of the other ones just see them as lower, as lower species. Um, what else? There's, um, so as I was saying, there are two, there are two girls in the third arc, the third arc we meet. One Shoke is the, is the princess, is the princess of a, or the daughter, yeah, she's the princess of a lord who is so obsessed with keeping, with um, keeping his city or his area crime free that he'll kill, he'll kill anyone who commits a crime, no matter how petty. So there's a rebellion. This guy's head gets lopped off in front of her. And as punishment, she, as punishment, she loses her princess status and her immortality. But since she's not entirely, you know, she's not complicit exactly. She's still given a chance to go live, to go live elsewhere. And her, you know, her path's complicated. First, she is that she is very spoiled. You know, people hate her when they find out she's a princess because, you know, she's, associated with this king who killed their families but she's also not in, you know she's not entirely innocent too because she's def- you know she keeps saying it's not well it wasn't my fault i didn't know but she also defends him and defends his murder um anyway she 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 goes on this very complicated path she <laughs> she becomes the servant servant to a princess or a queen and kill and she steals jewelry from her because she feels like she you know she feels like she's entitled to this as a princess not realizing the irony that she's become the the, you know become the person kind of person her father would have punished um and she's initially she's she's against she's against the she's jealous of queen k or yoko because the way she sees it this you know this girl rose to power at the same time she lost hers and seeking someone to blame she decides she's going to blame her but she she meets um she meets rakushin the the half the half rat character she learns she learns more she learns more she she learns more about yoko she also from him she also learns that you know the reason people are mad at her is because the princesses are supposed to do civil service and she just didn't know she didn't do anything she didn't question anything and she she becomes so much of a better person over the course of over the course of these episodes like she really grows and listens to people and understands and eventually gets rewarded with position in yoko's um cabinet there's there's another girl cross paths with her suzu who initially seems like the more sympathetic one she's she got she got spirit she got spirited away to she got spirited away to one of the countries i don't remember which one everybody's <laughs> getting spirited away yeah. yeah i mean i've like used this so many times that word so many times what else am i going to say um yeah. oh no i just it's like yeah this is there's a lot of experience there's a lot there's a lot there is a lot going on on this show i haven't even gotten to all the different titles and like the different kinds of monsters and you know there are monsters this. <laughs> yeah i, I only I said, know there are half beasts no, I said I said there were I said there were monsters. Oh, okay. What kind of monsters yeah. are there? What yeah. is it like? Is it like when you're saying they're like ch- traditional Chinese monsters? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know actually. No, that's okay. <laughs> um, but she. No, continue. What kind of what kind of girl was you know, was was she on the other side, and how did that play into who she became through her adventure? Is would you even call it an adventure or? 
Oh, it's, it's like an epic adventure. She's gone from, she goes from someone who will just do whatever to make whoever's in power happy to someone who takes, takes control, takes control, wants to, you know, wants to do right. Because much, absolutely much braver, listens to people. Um, her journey is not, her journey is not over though. It's not like when she's queen, you know, la da da, everything's great. She, she still, she has, still has a lot. To, she still has a lot to learn. Like, you know, she wants to and should listen to her cabinet because they're the experts on they're experts in the world and she's not. But if she's too weak about it, then they'll take advantage and you know use her as like a puppet to push their agendas, and people will think she's weak. Like I actually like there is really good managerial advice in the show. <laughs> you know, it's it it really allows the complexity of um. You know, the, this royalty system, it's not it's not exactly great, you know, because it's because it's a monarchy, but it's you know, there are there's room to be better and worse in it. And it's not, you know, it's it's not it's not clear. It's not clear cut. Like, she, you know, she has she has to do right by people and find out what's going on in the country, like, you know, punish the lords who are overtaxing people and such. But, you know, but she also but she also has to appears somewhat, you know, somewhat arrogant and confident because otherwise no one's going to listen to her. No one's, you know, no one's going to see her as a true leader. There's one part where the King of N tells her, like, you know, if you don't know the answer to something, kind of like, look at, you know, say you'll look into it. And I'm like, that's like the same thing bosses have told me in the past. It's true. <laughs> you know? Don't say like, I don't know. I'll look into it. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah. Um, yeah. It's good. It's really good. Really good career advice. I I, I, lo- I love all the I love all the complexity. I love that. Um. I, I love that everything exists exists in the shade in these shades of gray. So she's yeah, not so you. much a, an isekai character as she is a, a character returning to her to her home and kind of getting caught up on customs of her homeland. I mean, I mean. Yes and no, because she's lived her entire life in Japan. Okay. So okay. so there's yeah. not only is it a good like introduction to all the world building through this character that doesn't know any of the customs, mm-hmm. but can instantly speak the language. So that's good. Yeah. But yeah, that sounds really interesting. Really well thought out though. Yeah. Is it, does it have any romantic aspects to it or is that it? Nah. Cool. Which is fine. Yeah, I mean, she Yoko has a crush on Asano at the beginning, but it doesn't it doesn't really go that far because one, he's already dating the other girl, Yuka, and two, he falls off a cliff. She presumes he's dead, and like when he finally shows up again episodes later, he's just gone like batshit from his experience not on not understanding anybody um, and trying to survive. He actually he ends up like joining up with, he ends up joining up with the, one of the corrupt Lords. Um, he also, he also has a gun. Um, is that something that washed up in one of those? Sh- that's something that washed up in one of those Shoku. And he's the, you know, he's the only one who recognized it and knows how to use it. You know, just so we're <laughs> clear, guns require like maintenance and things. When was it just, when you say washed up? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's like, 
in the in in the disasters that cross people over can also cross mm. over items. Okay, so it's I like see. I mean he's shown maintain he's shown maintaining it. He doesn't okay. really use it to shoot so much as to threaten people because they don't they don't know what it is. They're just you know look it up. It's like Ash down, with his like, magic boomstick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. God, I wanna edit that in now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I guess it goes without saying because you you've spoken so eloquently about all of the different uh, aspects that you enjoy. But uh, how does this compare to sort of the series that you watched for our last episode on the more modern isekai? So this is what happens when Twelve Kings of Happiness when like you actually like writing and you know <laughs> want to spend no I mean like want to spend all this time creating a story with a purpose and spend time mapping out absolutely everything in this world. So the readers, watchers can learn about it. Like it's, I, I really feel the love of storytelling, the love of storytelling. That's a good answer. Which, yeah. Which, which I, I just never, I didn't get that. I didn't get that from the series I've sampled, even the ones I've liked. It's, it's, you know, the world felt more, generic medieval fantasy because it wasn't partly because it's not the focus but but it makes such a difference it does feel like they all came from the same template <laughs> like yeah i mean that's 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 true that's that's true i think it makes it really easy and accessible for people to write web novels which again i support but like but it's also it's weird. It's also just absolutely held. It's also just absolutely held to read or watch because you know you you want a story to be good and not just kind of like a, a series of like templated excuses for things that are happening because we you know there's no disembodied narrative voice telling you telling telling you you know what levels are being gained there are actual there are actual like people teaching yoko and the others about the about the world or they're learning it themselves they're experiencing it it's like i i think that one of the big differences is that they what they do is they just they have like a very like there's nothing specific about any of those worlds that we were sampling Mm-mm. there's nothing specific that's like interesting about them and that's one of the main problems it also means that they can focus on sort of the like bullshit like stats and all of that stuff uh and just make that the story and like the the ascension of the character to that godhood is sort of the story like but as far as like the politics and how things work and like the sort of like meticulous world building that you can even find in something like i don't know like the hunger games where there's like there were 12 there were 13 districts and they each have a specific thing that they do for the capital because the capital has them all under an over under an oppressive system but has given them the hunger games in order to get them to like um participate and have hope that maybe if if they get chosen and they work hard and they kill everybody else that they'll be the one person who can go live in the capital and have like a life on easy street you know uh but it's supposed to be america if you don't know by the way uh it's like a it's like a twisted dystopian version of america but what i'm trying to say is that um that world is interesting that world has facets to it and buried secrets and things like that like 
as much as I enjoyed Spider or as much as you probably enjoyed Villainous or Dawn enjoyed um Nope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, see. <laughs> I feel vindicated now. As much as we enjoyed any of the things we watched, those worlds don't go very deep and they don't seem to have any kind of internal logic to how they function or work. Um and you know, when you make them as gamey as they became in a lot of cases, it kind of robs them of like feeling like they have actual stakes involved with the that could lead to like <laughs> character development or you know like a changing a sea change that like somehow affects all of the different systems that are in place it just feels like you're you're trying to get to the game o- over screen you know you're trying to roll credits um but yeah all three series that we watched i think had good strong stories it sounds like and characters you could get behind and and worlds that you could get lost in <laughs> so i mean i don't know if i want to get lost in the world of uh here here now then tomorrow <laughs> no what was it called i think now and then here and there now and then here and there one or the other now and then here and there yeah i don't think i want to get lost in that world but no no please <laughs> i'd rather be in the world where i'm duped into slaying the princess i also think that it's interesting that th- that one in particular does have sort of you know it it does seem to have sort of an allegorical connection to like things that are going on in the real world or that go on in the real world or like the idea of war um did you find that 12 kingdoms had any overlap with sort of like real world issues or like you said that like you could see like how those same things could apply to a boss or things like that did you see any kind of like um theme that carried over to our world the discrimination allegory is really strong <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. Could you, could you illuminate us just a little bit more on that? Um, how how people from Japan, how people from Japan are treated in these kingdoms, which can also vary from location to location too. Like some, like one of the and N is also ruled by Kaikaku, so he's like his country is more his country is more accepting, but some others are more hostile. Um, you know, Rakushun as the half beast. He faces ton he faces tons of discrimination. Or that he you know, he comes out he comes out winning. He goes to college, like it is one of the top students. Um I'm not sure how much the kind of like foreigner, you know, the foreigner fear is supposed to be a reflection of Japan's tendency to be averse to foreigners, or if it's uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure if or if it's just that, or if it's just an angle that worked well for stories for the story. I don't have an answer to that. I mean, I haven't spent enough time thinking about it for Magic Knight Rebirth, but I'm not. I'm not really sure there's a direct correlation between what they're doing in the series and what's happening in the real world. Uh, I think that's kind of what I like about it in some ways too, though, is that uh, it, it's a world with very specific rules and very specific uh, aspects to it that I, I suppose you could say that the pillar of the earth 
sort of is like, I don't know, like the Dalai Lama or something where there's one born after another has passed on, but it's not like the Dalai Lama is a slave to anything. I think it's, I think it's more an allegory about personal responsibility and friendship and, you know, just yeah, finding, I, finding out what people's finding out what people's stakes are instead of just believing, believing what you hear as well as eventually, well, if the system absolutely sucks, like what's, you know, what's the next step? Do boy. we just kind of let it be and let, you know, the mistakes repeat again, or do we, you know, do we try to, do we try to change this to something that will actually benefit everyone? Which is strange because Japan has a, like if you look at it politically, I mean, it has a very don't rock the boat sort of vibe to it. Um, and then on top of that, I, I would say they did the opposite, which is to protect the system at all costs and allow things to get really corrupt and and just sort of fall apart since then. Uh, it's hard for me to even talk about politics today because there's so little to really go on. But um, I. Don't think they've really. I I think more of Japan should have checked out Magic Knight Rayarth by Clamp if if this was the lesson they could have learned from it because uh, yeah, it's st- it's still got a really big following though. I I believe it. I believe yeah. it. Um, and it's 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 like a recurring part of the Super Robot Wars franchise video games. Like actually, some people I know know it know of it through the video games i haven't played them because i'm 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 not really interested (laughs) but here's i'm I'm like weird with giant robot stuff because it's like i i like it i actually really like it in fantasy settings like rare earth and escaflone um i'm not so much into space opera sci-fi like i i just generally don't care about that so and that's usually where it coincides although i am watching the new gundam you are Um, watching the new gundam i was about to bring that up yeah, because everyone was like, holy shit, this is revolutionary Gundam Utena. And I watched it and I'm like, yeah, wow, no, they were not exaggerating one bit. <laughs> like, this is, this is, this, this is the same, this is like the same conceit, the same first episode beats just played out much more literally. Whereas Utena is this very meta theatrical allegory for coming of age and, you know, reject, rejecting ideals of, um, rejecting ideals of like princess and princess gender roles you know it's watch it watch you if you haven't um (laughs) no i'm i i never finished it i got to 14 i think which is sort of the turning point i guess yeah yeah that's one it's one of them (laughs) but anyway yeah i am so i am watching so i am watching that because you know if something's gonna go if something if if something was going to get me hooked like that was that was an angle that was an angle that worked for me uh, I ended up watching Spy Family, which has nothing to do with Isekai or any of that, but it was just a delightful romp. Uh, I was a hu- I'm a huge fan of Yotsubato, which is the comic about the mm. single dad raising this girl that he just picks up off the street, <laughs> uh, and she she sort of uh, starts off at a younger age and then she gradually grows up, but she still is like precocious and adorable and she often has these like little precocious adorable episodes where like uh he he like nothing nothing progresses really in that series nothing's nothing's there's no like there's no like overall plot (laughs) but 
but they do they do grow closer and he learns more about her and she learns about him and they sort of have an every it's one of those everyday life comics slice of life and i really like it um but they have a character in that show because it's a show about it's a really ridiculous premise it's that there's two kingdoms there's westeros and essos <laughs> what <laughs> i forget what they're called it's like westalis and something osteria and uh westalis and osteria they're on the verge of war and so they have a lot of spies operating behind the scenes and one of the spies is called uh twilight or tasogare and he um he has been given a mission to infiltrate this school so he can get uh, a child, presumably a child acting as his child or who believes that he is that she or he is his child, uh, close to the son of a major uh, government official so that they can get like and prevent like World War Three or whatever. So he he gets a child from the orphanage and that child ends up turns out to be psychic <laughs> and can read people's minds but he doesn't know that and then he ends up finding a wife to play his wife who happens to be an assassin and he doesn't know that but the child knows that so the child knows the dad is a super spy and that the mother is an assassin but the mother doesn't know that the dad's a spy and the dad doesn't know that the mother's an assassin. So it's one of those comedy of errors where they're constantly like kind of working at cross purposes, but sort of in the same direction. And it, it almost is like they're, they come together because it's like a matter of convenience. Like he needs a, someone to play his wife and she needs someone to play her husband. So they don't start like gossiping about her, not having a husband. Cause then maybe she's a spy and they'll kill her. So they, they all kind of make this pact, but the best stuff is when like, she's trying, she's like outwardly this like very like, perfect sort of wifey looking character and like she's very demure but inside she's like talking about the most insane bloody shit and the little girl who's like six seven years old maybe eight nine six seven or eight she's seven or eight she can hear all of her like most disturbing thoughts or like her dad's like most like complicated thoughts and she'll just make these faces like and they're so good. Which, which you can't which you can't see which, which you can't, you can't see, see on, because you're listening yeah but it wasn't oh face yeah for that emotion uh just a delight it's delightful and uh i do recommend like it it the first season is the only one that's fully out it's currently airing season two but you could also check out um chainsaw man which just started today i think uh when we're recording this um that is one that is really beloved by this generation um, and I was not as big a fan of the manga as some, but I will say that does get better if you were initially turned off by sort of the gore level or the, um, the just grossness of it. It's just fucking gross. It's just a fucking <laughs> gross story. It is pretty weird. Uh, it's weird and gross and, and, but as it goes on, it sort of becomes this like 
it becomes a critique of late stage capitalism <laughs> in the weirdest ways. Uh, it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, if you were into the look of Doro Hedoro, I think that you might enjoy what they're doing in that series. So, is there anybody, anything else we have to say about either, you know, the isekai that we're sort of dropping as far as like the, the, the format here with the special reports for the next episode or no, anything I mean, in general? Sorry, not for, well, not for me, but I was going to talk about what I'm watching this season. Oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I'm watching five anime this season. Wow. Which, you know, Do we after, have time after for this? Like, <laughs> uh, no, I'm not going to talk ahead. about them all. Um, I mean, I mean, um, which, you know, which, which, which is, which is, which is some um, very, it's very pleasant that there are five series I want to follow. Like for the previous part of this year, I watched like three TV shows and two movies. That's, that's not a lot. So it's delightful to have, five that I have five that I think are winners the most important of this and you knew I was going to bring this up Pui Pui Mokar is back and uh, Pui Pui Mokar is my favorite anime of 2021 it's a stop a stop motion anime that uses felting and miniatures it's about worlds where the cars are all guinea pigs and like the guinea pigs are cars and the first season was just like this absolute dark horror surprised me it was just absolutely delightful so cute there is no language barriers because the, the characters all communicate in like actual sampled guinea pig squeaks it's um cover covers a, a like a shocking range of territory from you know slice it's kind of very real life inconveniences like traffic jams to like a mission impossible impossible parody it's i, I absolutely love this and it's back um, this time with a different with a different staff and studio, which it's definitely palpable from the first episode. But you know, it's still it's, it's you know I, I'm I'm still positive about it. I think it'll be different, but still but still good. This one, th- so we knew the the name this season was driving school, so we knew it was going to be about the whole cars going to driving school. Um, turns the first episode is about them accidentally knocking down buildings during like a a series of unfortunate coincidences and getting their licenses revoked um they get pulled away they get pulled away in this like guinea pig carrier carrier cage just ending ending on a shot of the driving of the driving school sign (laughs) With like dramatic music, I was like, "Wow!" I, I, you know, I was not expecting to feel so dejected. Except it's actually pretty. It's actually pretty. Um, it's 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 actually pretty appropriate for the show. I mean, this was one the first the first season, the second episode. We see one of the Molkars get hijacked for her for a bank robbery. Like it's it's it absolutely absolutely had that absolutely the balance of darkness and even meanness with the cuteness was was really really elevated it. This is a children's show, but it has a huge adult following. I think in Taiwan, it's it's really huge in Taiwan, and I think like there was a j- running joke there that like kids watch Demon Slayer, adults watch Pui Pui Molkar. <laughs> that that tracks. Yeah. Uh, I would I didn't fully get into it until Victoria came over and showed me. We sat and watched like the whole se- first season. 
Yeah, that was my 2021 agenda. And to be fair, that's like a half hour's worth. The episodes are two and a half minutes. Correct. <laughs> so, Don, you should get on this because it's delightful, the mixed media that, that that's done, the way that they blend, like... Is it? Do they do live action or do, is it stop motion that's live? I can't remember um, now. Oh, you mean the, for the people? Yeah. I think the drivers are shot in time lapse. Okay, time lapse. Uh, yeah. So they also have like little like figures that represent them sometimes, and they have like um like it just all the like it just has so much texture and it's so much fun to watch. And since they're only two minutes, I I do recommend just popping them on every so often. Yeah, or else I will come over to your house and make you watch the whole season. That's a big threat. <laughs> it it <laughs> really is. I mean, that was that was basically that was basically summer two thousand twenty one for me. It was just like going to do both. That was like so. We're watching this. Have you accepted Pui Pui Molkar as your? <laughs> I I accept personal savior. How, how do you spell it again? Um, P U I P U I. Okay. Is it on Netflix still? Is that where the best um, place to watch it, it is? It should it should be. The new episodes are airing on YouTube, but they're region locked, which kind of sucks. Um, but if you just use a free VPN, you can you'll get around it. <laughs> All right, I probably won't do that. I need my I need my fix. All right, so we don't have too much more time left. But tell me what other series you're watching. Oh, it's okay because so, you tease the well, audience, so you got to yeah. you got to come out All right. right now. So I'm watching Gundam and the Witch from Mercury. I'm actually watching another villainous show that was, um, I'm the villainous on Taming the Final Boss. This was not my radar. This was not my radar until I saw a clip from it that looked really fucking funny. Um, and this has been, this has been a delightful surprise. It's, I don't like it so much when it's leaning into the video game aspects, but thankfully there's not too much of it here. It's just kind of using it as, like as a setup to tell to tell this that's like misfit this misfit rom this misfit rom-com about about the you know about the villainous and this demon lord it's um what, what i like what i like about this one huh, is what's weird is it's a different villainous right it's not the same it, it's not even related right yeah, I mean the set, the setup is exactly the setup is exactly the same, but the characters are good. The characters are good in this one. Um, Eileen, my character, like she's she's perceived as a villain in universe because she worked really hard to get ahead, and in medieval society, you know, ambitious women are seen as bad. But she's also but she's also pretty shrewd. Like she's not she's not above um she's not above like poisoning and blackmailing like a monster to get you know to get her way in to get to get her way in. <laughs> you know or it's um it's and, and you know and, and the, the plot of this is that her fiance dumped her so she's going after his bro- after his brother which you know it's you know it's her, her her reason her reason makes sense to everyone else it looks like she's just you know being being vengeful um is this not an isekai situation is this not oh it is oh, it it's, is. it's okay. the same it's the same reincarnated ultimate game thing i just there's this there's there's an there's enough meat on the rom-com premise that i'm actually enjoying it i'm rooting for i'm rooting for these two weirdos to get together it's not gonna like go down to my all-time favorites but but, but i've been enjoying it so are you also watching yeah. uh i am a sword <laughs> No, <laughs> that's no, a real I mean, that's a real show. I don't know if I'm getting the title right, but 
one of the shows Thank this you. season. Reincarnated as a sword. I've been reincarnated as a sword. I mean, I mean, I already have to deal with that in real life. So, um, yeah, you know. that's a very common <laughs> problem these <Yeah>. days. <laughs> um, let's see what I talked about. I talked about. The, I'm watching. Give us one the more. The Raven in the Inner Palace, which is what is it? Another The Raven in the Inner Palace, which is another another like ancient China inspired ah. series based on novels. It's mystery court intrigue. It's a l- the tone of it's a little dry so far, but I'm, I'm, you know, but I've been, but I'm also invested in that one. Um, it's a little hard to, it's a little hard to say where, where it's going at this point. So we just got, as of two episodes, we just got through solving the initial mystery that sets everything up. And um, anyway, so the, the premise of this is the, Raven consort is like this mysterious being in this mysterious being who lives in the palace and isolated, but can use magic and like solve mysteries for, for a price. And the emperor seeks, the emperor seeks her out because he finds this haunted jade earring and wants to know like, who does it belong to? Um, belongs to is it like a court lady, something. I don't remember the exact, anyway, but you know, she was, Mur- you know she was framed she was framed and then murdered um and then finally what's oh i'm gonna watch the new ursayatsura that hasn't started starting yet. the 13th i think because that was that was a manga i liked a lot in middle school high school cool cool well <laughs> next week or next time you listen to the show i guess uh we'll be talking about the anime sunny boy which I've heard becomes a little complicated. <laughs> yeah, this is um, this is actually my secret agenda. I I want people to tell me what the fuck the show is about because I really enjoyed it when I watched it last year, but I I, I have I had no idea what the hell was going on. <laughs> well, that's why all three of us are gonna dig yeah. into it. And this is gonna be an interesting case because I'm not gonna watch the whole series first like I normally do. Uh, I'm gonna watch it as we're going. So. Uh, you're kind of going to be the guide here <laughs> Uh-oh. as far as, <laughs> as far as like, you know, uh, you can kind of, <laughs> I won't know what's coming, so I won't be able to sort of like shape the, the direction of the discussion. Well, like they taught me in the 12 kingdoms, you know, I won't say, I don't know. I'll say, I'll look into it. Ah, perfect. (laughs) And that brings us to the end of the show, unless you have something else, Don. No, I do not. All right. Well, we will talk to you next time, as we say at the end of the show, every end of the show, end of the show, end of the show. Um, Three, two, one. Okashkuikoyo. That's actually one of our better ones. (laughs) I... Don't agree, but you know, that's, uh, that's good. Hey, Riley. Yeah, Andrew. Do you want to make a podcast ad? I do, but what would we mention? So I think that we could probably put together an ad for a show called The Podcast Minds. Wow. There, but for the grace of pod, go we. You know, it's a podcast where we both pitch each other podcast ideas instead of doing one ourselves. 
Yeah, it's a podcast pilot pitching project. Totally. It's we should mention that it's a comedy show, right? Where we throw out ideas like getting weirdly deep into the themes of Jumanji. Is that one a podcast? No, no. Uh, I, I, it's a it's a podcast idea that is actually a front for me to talk to you about hyperfixations I got. Oh, that's uh, most of the things that you hit me with. Uh, what about instead if we just talked about all the different ways you could do a rewatch of Lost? Oh, that sounds like you just did what I did, but <laughs> you said it in a positive voice. Okay, and along the way, what if we pitched ideas like, I don't know, Epic Rap Battles of Mystery, the Lin-Manuel Miranda podcast? Listen to the podcast minds. There before the grace of pod, go we on your podcatcher of choice on the Moonshot Network. Hi-ho! Hi-ho! Every Friday. Hi there, my name's Max Newland. My friends and I love anime, but you don't have to take my word for it. Hello, my name is Max Kostrak, and I have a confession today. I do love anime. Hey there, my name is Stevie Matos, and I love anime like I love yogurt parfaits. I watch it, I engage with it, and I think about it a lot. Give me a good bed of mechs sprinkled with some harem anime, a slice of life, and some little dabs of a sports anime. Let's go. Mm. Now doesn't that sound delicious? Join us every Monday at the After School Anime Club, a podcast where we play fun games and talk through the anime classics of the 90s and 2000s. That's the After School Anime Club, available now on your podcatcher of choice. Welcome Welcome to the best idea for a podcast of all time. This is Champs in the Making, a Pokemon Bracket podcast where we take every one of these creatures in the Pokemon video game franchise, put them in a bracket together and find out which one the best one is. Starmie gives me like organic, free-range, gluten-free, like fidget spinner energy. Swallow can swallow a tire hole in one gulp. Ladybug looks like it is ready to give you so many high fives with each of its little mitten hands. (laughs) I don't like Weird Ear's face. It's got a big testicle for a nose, for sure. I think Dido King's favorite beer is PBR. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Champs in the Making, a Moonshot Network podcast about Pokemon. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts or first at patreon.com slash moonshotnetwork.